The following audio is from Hope Hill Church. To learn more about Hope Hill Church, please visit hopehillchurch.org. Uh, let me continue praying right now as uh, uh, our ushers prepare to take the offering. Um, I just remembered that over the last 24 hours, there was a, a number of families' lives changed forever as some um, uh, nonsensical shootings took place. Um, and for those of you that have heard about them, you know that the numbers are very high. Uh, the numbers of people that have been um, had their lives taken from them uh, and a number of other people wounded through the shootings last night and yesterday. So let me pray. Join me as we pray for those families. Father God, we, we don't know um, why things like this happen. We know that we live in a fallen and broken world. But what we do know is that you promised that even in the midst of our suffering and trials, you would be there with us. God, I I can't begin to imagine what it would feel like to be a father who just lost a child. Um, As we know, God, we pray that you, in a way that only you can, that your Holy Spirit would pour out, that your Holy Spirit would bring peace and comfort, that your Holy Spirit would bring healing to all impacted. At the same time, God, we pray on behalf of our nation and world that your will would be done, that your kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven, and that this broken, fallen world would give way to your will. We pray for your kingdom to come. We pray that you would help us to be vessels of hope, vessels of comfort here during this time of tragedy. This morning, we're going to continue our study in the book of John. Uh, just get used to hearing that for a while. Um, we began this journey a couple months ago now, and we're finally to John chapter 4. And there's 21 chapters to go. So different parts of it will go uh, at different speeds. Uh, but today, we're going to pick up and we're going to cover the first 26 verses of uh, John chapter 4. And uh, I want you to get ready to dive in with me. A couple uh, interest statements that I want you to hear come from some truths we know from Scripture. Uh, First of all, we have a God that above all is love, and a God that loves us, and a God that is willing to do whatever it takes to reach down to us to show us his love. In the book of Luke, uh, we see an exchange where, where Jesus is reaching out, calling some of his first disciples. And instead of going after, you know, the local temple and taking a survey of the most religious elite of the day and selecting 12 of the biggest and brightest religious stars, he goes after what many would say were outcasts, rejects, sinners, tax collectors, washed up fishermen who don't know what they're doing. 
God has a way of going after the, the seemingly less likely to be chosen. And all throughout the Old Testament, we see that this is the kind of God we have. That when you think you don't have what it takes, God says it doesn't matter who you are or what you've done. If I'm choosing you, I will enable you to do what I've called you to do. And here we see him reaching out to one of his first disciples, a guy named Matthew. Uh, his name in Hebrew is Levi. And his job was a tax collector. Not like for the IRS doing things by the book, but more a criminal type that would line his own pockets while taking your money and paying the Romans. Hired by the Romans who had basically enslaved the Jews, these Jewish people would be recruited to steal from their own and pay off the officials. And so they were, they were despised, they were rejected, and yet this is one of the first people that Jesus says, come and follow me. We see that this really upset the religious elite of the day, the leadership of the day, the Jewish Sanhedrin members of the council called Pharisees were very upset. And in Luke chapter 5, it says the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, Jesus' disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And listen to these key phrases. And Jesus answered them and said, those who are well have no need for a physician, but those who are sick. I have not called, come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Later in the book of Luke, in verse 19, uh, Jesus would say, For the Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost. In John 3, uh, Pastor David shared with us the truth behind the exchange with Nicodemus. And a lot of us know John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, and that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. But really, one of the most beautiful verses is the very next one that follows. John 3.17 says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved. So Jesus came from the beginning to reach those who many would feel unreachable. What we've seen in the book of John is that John is trying to deconstruct the religious view of what it means to be right with God. In the first couple chapters, the first thing we see is that in a system that was dependent on sacrifices, regular, every year, Taking a pil making a pilgrimage to sacrifice a lamb for the sake of your own forgiveness and trying to become right with God, John declares, John the Baptist declares to Jesus, John declares in looking at Jesus, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. You don't need to bring lamb, sheep anymore. Uh, later we'll see Jesus show up at a wedding during the Passover week and then visit the temple. In both of these occurrences, he is trying to show the people of the day that your religious rituals are pointing you to do things over and over again that will never achieve for you what I have come to give you. It, it's not about religious cleansing and these, uh, these stone jars used for ceremonial cleansing. Instead, I'm going to show you uh, by turning this water to wine that I will provide the greatest wine, a wine being a symbol of Jesus' blood. Whenever we take communion, we remember his blood shed for us for the forgiveness of the sins. World. And he says, I'm, I'm, I'm the better groom. 
I'm, I'm here to make you my bride, and you can only become my bride, not through ceremonial cleansing and religious rites and rituals, but by having my blood shed for your sins and you receiving the forgiveness that can only come through me. He then goes into the temple and he turns over the tables because they've made this house of prayer a, a, a den of thieves, a place for a religious exchange where they simply think that if they pay the right temple tax, the right tithe, if they offer up the right sacrificial system, that they will somehow, again, earn God's favor. And Jesus says, destroy this temple and I'll rebuild it in three days. And they're like, what? It's been 46 years to build this. How are you going to rebuild it in three days? And he's like, I'm the temple. I will lay down my life Three days later, I will raise it up again. And there we see that the temple and the religious system is not man-made. It's, it's, this, it, it, it's the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in the people, called by God, redeemed by God, formed together into the holy temple that we are. Living stones grafted together, of which Jesus is the chief cornerstone. And then today, we see an exchange. He had a talk with Nicodemus, and in all, uh, in all circles, people would look at that discussion as an honorable one. You know, to get audience of a religious member of the Sanhedrin, uh, that, that's pretty cool. Now, there's speculation that Nicodemus wasn't so uh, sure that he should be seen with Jesus, so he sneaks out at night to meet with Jesus. Others think he just wanted extra time with Jesus in the night, and most, most all life is done, and so they could really get in. But Nicodemus comes because he's thirsty. And we're going to see that same thirst in a Samaritan woman today. Nicodemus has been trying to appease God by religious ritual, by trying to memorize enough scripture and obey enough scripture and do enough religious things to somehow make himself set apart and better and holier than than, than the common man. And yet he still has not had his thirst quenched. And today we see the encounter with the Samaritan woman. A, a, a meeting with her, while, while a meeting with Nicodemus would be seen as honorable, a meeting with the Samaritan woman would be considered socially unacceptable. First of all, you have Samaritans and Jews. They did not mingle. If you understand the nation of Israel geographically, uh, you've got in the south Jerusalem where the Jews would travel, where the, the, the Temple Mount is, and you've got the home where Jesus lived uh, in the north above the Sea of Galilee. And coming and going from Galilee to Jerusalem, there was this area called Samaria. And because of a sordid, twisted past, a number of things unfolding throughout history, the Jews hated the Samaritans and would go all the way around just to get to the top. So culturally, a Jewish man talking to a Samaritan was not something that would happen on a day-to-day basis. And yet, Jesus is there meeting with the Samaritan, and then come to find she's also a woman. Back in that day, a woman was like property, second class, And you didn't talk to a woman unless she was a family member or a wife. Here Jesus is going out of his way to go to a land that Jews did not go to, 
to speak to a woman when men did not speak to a woman and to speak to a Samaritan when Jews did not associate. And yet, two very different people with the same need have their thirst quenched. And today in this story, we're going to see Jesus bust open all cultural thought and step into this woman's world and change her life forever. So, now that I've given you the intro, i got 20 minutes to cover the rest. Here we go. Chapter 4. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus, look at these parentheses, although Jesus himself did not baptize, it was only his disciples. I could give a whole sermon just on that. Um, we won't today. But here is a little plug for a future talk. Um, Jesus invites broken people to do his work. He was teaching, he was baptizing, although it was not him baptizing, it was his disciples. Who were his disciples? Remember, I just told you about Levi, I told you about the sinners, some tax collectors, some washed out fishermen. These are the people doing the work of God, and these people were getting the attention and notice of the religious elite of the day, and so Jesus decides to take his message somewhere else. We don't have time to dig into that too much, but here's what I want you to hear. That washed up, broken people, God calls, he uses. And you're about to see that in the life of this Samaritan woman as well. He left Judea and departed again from Galilee. And he underlined the next words you're about to see. If you got your scripture journal, underline it there. If you got your Bible, if you got your U version, you can highlight it now uh, using a, a press hold or something like that. Verse 4. And he had to pass through Samaria. The word had is interesting here. It means he was having to. But what's weird is based on what I just described to you, the background, and looking at the routes that have been established, this statement is not true. Jesus geographically did not have to go through Samaria to go to Galilee. There were trade routes. There were very common roads developed that would take a Jewish person and allow them to remain undirtied and go around Samaria. There were a number of routes that Jesus could have gone. There was nothing forcing him to go to Samaria. Unless there was. He had to pass through Samaria. On a number of occasions in the book of Acts, we see Paul, a missionary, we read about his journeys, and we read that at times he had made a decision to go to this place or this place, and we read that the Holy Spirit prevented Paul from going certain directions at certain times and redirected him in other ways. I believe that's what's happening here with Jesus. I believe that there is a divine appointment that is established before the foundation of the world that Jesus would leave Jerusalem and have a discussion with the religious elite to then go and talk to the broken and outcast in their society, to a person who would be considered the most religious outcast. From the religious elite to the religious outcast. He had to go there. He had a mission. Let's see it unfold. So he came to the town of Samaria called Sychar, 
near a field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, a lot of times we think of things, when we think of Jesus, we think of him healing people, we think of his compassion. How many of you think out of, about worn out, weary Jesus? It happened. He was just like us, and wearied from his journey. I mean, it took us a couple hours by bus to travel from Galilee to Jerusalem. I can't imagine what walking and, and, and Samaria is mountainous. So Jesus gets worn out. Wearied as he was, he gets there. He arrives at Jacob's well. Now, Jacob's well was significant. I wish we could have went by there and seen it, but that's on the next trip, I guess. But Jacob's well was significant. It's now in a land called Samaria. Uh, what happened was the nation of Israel was attacked by the Assyrians. And the Assyrians, at this point, Israel is kind of divided in half, a lower kingdom and a, uh, a northern kingdom. And Syria is kind of the capital of the northern kingdom. The Assyrians come in. There are Jewish people living there. And they intermarry with the Assyrians, Assyrians who worship other gods and false idols. And, and so the lo- lower kingdom, the Jews, say, you know what? You're, you're sinners. You've sold out. You've bought into the Assyrians' ways. You're worshiping their gods. And that begins the, the line of them rejecting one another. And, uh, and so the, the uh, Samaritans set up their own high holy place near Jacob's well. And this is where Jesus goes. Now, Jacob's well was significant. Uh, Abraham's, one of his first sacrifices, uh, happened in this area. This is also where God's promise to Abraham to give him all the land took place. It's, it's, it's also a place where several people met their wives um, there's a couple of accounts I wrote down that were pretty significant. Let's see if I've got them written down here. I don't. But by memory, let me see if I can remember what they were. Um, uh, Abraham's servant met, uh, uh, is it Rebecca who married Isaac? Um, and then uh, is it Jacob that met Rachel there? And uh, Mose, uh, Moses had met a really interesting hard to pronounce, and without looking at it, I can't remember her name. Uh, but three different significant people met their wives there, so this was a hot spot for singles, okay? And so it was very significant. Sacrifices and hookups, okay, all in the same place. The, the right kind of hookups, though, okay? Um, but Jesus steps up to this well, and this woman is there. And it's about the sixth hour, Scripture tells us. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as, he's, as his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. This is noon in the Jewish time. And so it's midday, heat of the day. And a woman from Samaria comes to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. His disciples had gone into town to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask me, a woman, you're a man and a a Jew, and you're talking to me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God, who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water, 
how is it that you're going to give me something to drink? The well is really deep. Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well, and he drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to him, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty again. The water that I give them will become in him a spring welling up to eternal life. The woman said, then give me this water so that I will not have to be thirsty or have to come here anymore. So in a sense, you could say that in in just a matter of moments, Jesus' evangelistic call to this woman was successful. He comes up to her and he tells her about the well. She's there at noon. Uh, That's an interesting item to be aware of. And we're going to see in a minute why. But he speaks to her and he speaks to this idea of water. Knowing this place is a holy place, knowing this place is very significant for many reasons, Jesus says, you know what? This water doesn't matter. This place doesn't matter. I am the only thing that can quench your thirst. I am living water. We're going to see that in verse 26. So she, puzzled by these words and yet moved somehow, says, then, sir, give me this water. So strike up the band, have your altar call. She's ready, her heart's ready. She's ready to give her heart to the Lord. And yet Jesus does not lean into that and take her. There's no easy believism here. Unfortunately, we have a lot of churches these days that speak of the wonderful love of Jesus. That's not unfortunate, but many times they ignore the part that we're broken and that we're sinful. And very few churches in our modern age talk about sin and brokenness. But Jesus, at the moment of her being ready to accept this message, give me the living water. I'm ready to receive it. He says an interesting thing. The very next words out of his mouth. woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty and will have to come here again. And so Jesus said, go and call your husband. Now, one of the traits of, of God, and Jesus is God, is omniscience. He knows everything. He knows this woman. It's this woman, I believe, that it's because of her and the people there that he had to go to Samaria. He knows this woman's past, and he knows her present. And so instead of just accepting her quick willingness to say, yes, I'm in, he speaks to the darkest part of her life. See, this woman had come at noon for a reason. Most of the women of that day would go to the well before the heat of the day, six, seven in the morning, maybe even earlier. By now, the crowds would have come and gone. Because of her past and her present, 
she would have been ridiculed. And most likely wanting to avoid the rumors and the whispers at the well, she waited till the woman had come and gone, knowing that she would most likely be alone on her journey. You see, when Jesus said, go and get your husband, look at her response. The woman answers him, I, I have no husband. She's telling the truth. She doesn't at that moment have a husband. And Jesus said to her, you're right in saying that you have no husband. You've actually had five husbands. And the one that you're with now, he's not your husband. What you've said is true. Jesus just read her hand. He, there's, there's no hiding. There's, there's no tricking Jesus. When we come to Jesus, what did, what did John 3.17 say about Jesus? That he came to, he came to condemn us, right? Is that what John 3.17 says? Is that what Luke says, 19? He came to condemn the lost. Jesus, knowing this woman's past and her present, wants to change her future. He knows the darkest area of her life. And in order for her to experience the living water that he has to offer, he knows that she has to reveal the truth that she is a sinner and in need of a Savior. He looks at her and says, go and get your husband because he knows that she has had a thirst. And her thirst, she has been trying to quench in one bath relationship after another. Nicodemus trying to quench his thirst by immersing himself in the religious system and the religious law, seeks Jesus and says, how can I truly experience the kingdom of heaven? And this woman going from one man to the next, five men, six men later, still looking for a way to quench her thirst. Jesus calls her out in love. Go and get your husband. You have no husband. You're right. You had five, and the one you're with now, he's not your husband either. So the woman is now, this has just gotten awkward, okay? And she wants to deflect. So the woman says to him, Sir, I perceive you're a prophet. Yeah, you could say that. And so she wants to, like, steer the direction, the conversation in a completely different direction. And so she's like, you know, if he's a prophet, let's bring up one of the most hottest debated topics between our people and the Jews. Let's talk about the proper place to worship. I see you're a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that we're to worship in Jerusalem. That's the place where we ought to worship. And Jesus just stops her. He doesn't, again, he's not here to condemn. He meets her even in the midst of her excuses. He meets her in the midst of the situation where she is living and speaks truth in love. The woman said, I perceive you're a prophet. Let's have a religious debate instead of talking about my area of darkness and shame. And Jesus says in verse 21, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming 
when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. We meaning the Jews, you meaning the Samaritans. Salvation does come from the Jews. What he means by this is not that the Jewish system uh, is right. But going back to Abraham, the father of the Jews, there was the promise that all nations will be blessed through you, Abraham. That the seed of Abraham would bring salvation. And so what Jesus is saying here is that from the Jews, I, the seed, I am salvation. And I have come to offer you living water. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. Salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming. Circle the next phrase. No, it's already here. Now it's already here. The hour is coming when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And the Father is seeking. Father is not about religious system, whether you've bowed enough times, whether you've memorized enough verses, whether you've given enough sheep. The Father is after your heart. He is after you being born again, not just of flesh, but of spirit. And when we allow the Holy Spirit of God to come in and transform us, it's not about the these and the thighs and the those. It's about our brokenness. And our openness to receive the love and the forgiveness that only He can give. It's not about whether we worship in Jerusalem. We'd have to pilgrimage there every year if that were the case. It's about worshiping Jesus who is in us by His Spirit. This is true and proper worship. God is Spirit and truth. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. And so the woman says, again, kind of deflecting, not wanting to revisit, how did he know about my many husbands and my past? And I believe this is kind of like an exit statement of hers. I could be wrong. But I believe she is again wanting to get her water and get home. And she says, you know, the Messiah is coming. He'll he'll be called the Christ. And when he comes, he'll tell us all these things. He'll explain it all. Now, if you don't mind, I'm going to be on my way. She doesn't see what Jesus is about to show her. Jesus said to her, I who speak am he. This is the first I am passage. There's going to be seven in the book of John number of them. I am the good shepherd. I am the door. I am the bread of life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. A number of key statements only found in John. And this is the first of seven. And these are are mind-blowing statements. And the first of the seven, who does he choose to share it? Not the religious elite. He could have he could have said this to Nicodemus just a chapter earlier. Not to disciples. The disciples are already following him. They're already journeying with him. No, 
himself chooses a woman, a Samaritan woman, with a sordid past and present. And what this statement should tell us is that Jesus is not looking for the religious elite of the day. He's not looking for those who have it all together. Jesus offers her what? Living water. A changed life. What has she done to earn it? Nothing. She's not even repented yet. And yet Jesus shows up. I am the living water. If you continue living the kind of life that you live, you will continue to be thirsty. You will continue to try to quench your thirst, just like many of us do, with people and position and places and status, always trying to get the next latest and greatest thing, always working hard, striving hard to somehow satisfy ourselves. And Jesus says, I am the only thing that can truly satisfy you. You will be thirsty you try to fulfill your life in any other way, shape, or form, I am here to give you living water. You don't need to go back to the different men in your life. If you drink of the water I offer, you will never thirst again. We have to wrap up here. The second part of her life is amazing, and we're going to dive into it next week. But what I want you to and see today is that no matter what your past is or your present, no matter what sin you find yourself wrapped up in right now, Jesus is offering you living water. He's offering you forgiveness. He's offering you healing. He's offering you Drink of him and you will never thirst again. Go and get your husband. Whatever that might be in your life. Whatever it is in your life you're trying to find fulfillment in. Go and get it and bring it to the cross. Lay it at Jesus' feet. And open up your arms to receive him. The living water. Came to quench our thirst. Father God, we, we thank you that you are a God who loves, a God who heals, a God who comes and lavishes us, pours out on us love and forgiveness, not dependent on who we are or what we've done, but simply because of your love for us. So God, I pray for those of us who have received your love, that we would continue to look at ourselves, and as the scriptures say, that we would continually examine ourselves to see if there is anything in us that keeps us from walking the kind of life you've called us to walk, from fully experiencing the love that you've poured into our lives, and help us to die daily to the sins that so easily trip us up. Jesus, you love us. You have also said if we love you, we will obey your commands, so I pray for my brothers and sisters in this room who, like myself, still find struggles in our life that trip us up, 
And we would learn to die to those daily and remember to be reminded of the living water that you are. That we would daily drink of you. I also pray for those in this room who may not even know who you are. That they would stop trying to figure out life on their own. They would stop trying to find a quench for their thirst through the different offerings that this world has to offer. Instead, we would surrender to you. You're here this morning and you know you Regardless of your past or your present situation, his love and his hope and his forgiveness is offered to anyone who would believe in him and receive him. And it's offered to you today. Open up your heart to receive him right now. Call out to him in the stillness of this moment and say, Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me for my sin. Forgive me for the ways that I am trying to fill my life with things that are not of Come into my life and make me new. Show me what it means to walk with you. Help me to turn from everything else and put you first. Come and be my Lord. Father God, I pray for those who are coming to life right now as your Holy Spirit moves in and begins to fill their hearts and lives that they would surrender completely themselves to I pray that for each and every one of my brothers and sisters who already know you as Savior, but are holding on to something, that they would let it go at your cross, knowing that you already died for them to set us free. Come, have your way. Make us new, set us free. Let's stand together and worship him. If you have something in your heart, in your life, that you want prayer for, I want to invite you to not leave today. Don't just hold it in, but instead find one of our prayer team members standing at the back. I'll be down here in the front. Come and pray with me. Don't leave today with the struggle. Give it over to the Lord. Let him help you experience what it means to truly have your thirst quenched, have your sins forgiven, to be made whole. I invite you to meet one of our prayer team members or myself. Also, as a part of our response time, we have four tables around the corners of the room where we can be reminded of the communion elements where where Jesus took a cup and he took a piece of bread. He said, this bread is my body broken for you. As often as you eat of this, remember what I did for you. As we dip it in the cup and eat of it, we remember, as he said, this cup is a symbol of my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins. If you've given your heart to Jesus and you're a child of God, we invite you to come to this table. It's for all the family of God. If you do not yet know Jesus, my hope is that your heart would become open to him. You would allow him to make you his own. We'd love to pray with you about that today. Let's worship. Let's respond as the Lord leads us.